Hi, my name's Alex Kelly, co-founder of Bright Flag, and this is In-House Outliers, a podcast where I interview those who've taken unconventional paths and challenged conventional notions of how in-house legal should operate. I'm delighted to be joined today on the podcast by a very special guest. Connie Brenton has had a profound effect on the legal operations movement. In a remarkable career, she has led legal ops at Meta, was a founder of Clock, and most recently co-founded LegalOps.com. LegalOps.com has its inaugural conference, Running Legal Like a Business, coming up on October 15th in Las Vegas, which I'm really looking forward to. Connie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. Connie, we've known each other now for maybe seven or eight years, but we've never had a kind of conversation like this before. And before we maybe talk about all things legal ops, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. Where where did you grow up? Raised and grew up in a very famous town because we now have a very famous football coach. So I was born and raised in Boulder, Colorado, Ah. where, where Coach Prime is now. Absolutely. The coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. Did I see you spent time in, in college in Santa Barbara? I did. Yeah. So I went from one beautiful location to another beautiful location. One close to my heart, Santa Barbara as well. I spent a summer when I was in law school living and working in Santa Barbara. It's just one of the most incredible places I've ever been, I think. Yeah. You got the beach on one side and the mountains on the other. It was fantastic. So a, a fun place to go to college, I imagine. Uh, I still keep in touch with my college roommates. So right after the uh, event in Vegas, we are having a reunion. Oh, and wow. Yeah, that'll be the first time I'm back in, in Santa Barbara in probably 20 years. That's amazing. When I was in Santa Barbara, I was working on a sailing boat down in the marina that was owned by the drummer from Journey of all things. Oh my gosh. I was, we used to bring people out on tours around the bay, but it's beautiful there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that should be a lot of fun. If we fast forward then to when you and I initially met, it was in your early days as, as a founder of Clock, when you were so supportive to myself and Ian, where we were at a very, very early stage with Bright Flag. And you were obviously a person in the industry who had huge experience and context. And what I always remember is just the encouragement that we got from our conversations with you, the insight as to the problems that needed to be solved for corporate legal teams and how they were managing spend, but a huge amount of encouragement and support. And obviously that kind of motivation to kind of come and get behind the initiative you were building in in establishing Clock, which was transformative in the industry. And as I said before, transformative for us as as a company as well. You obviously had a, a very long and successful career in NetApp, and you are the pioneer in the legal app space. How did that come about initially? What led to you getting into the world of legal apps in the first place? Well, I have a JD MBA. I have started and sold half a dozen companies. So I have an entrepreneur DNA. I've never met a business that I don't love. And so it, and I always have known that I wanted to be a lawyer. So those two components have been part of my soul forever. And I really owe a huge sense of gratitude to my first general counsel, uh, Mike Dillon. He was the general counsel at Sun. He has since deceased, but he handpicked me 
to take over a very well-developed legal operations team of 23, which is a huge team, even by today's standards. And so in 2008, 2009, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, I think that this would be a good role for you. He kind of did. He made it feel like it was my decision. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's a tough role too. And one of my superpowers is that I am a connector and I love connecting. And the legal operations role can bring a, a siloed organization together. And so he needed somebody that could work across the enterprise and across the legal department. So I feel very fortunate to this day that he gave me the training, the team, the support, the funding in order to develop a very innovative legal department 15 years ago. When I took over this, my initial role, he had already purchased an e-billing system at a cost of millions of dollars because it was the code was being written. So it gives you a sense of where I started and how I started. I also owe a huge gratitude to the team because the the legal operations team had existed for much longer than when I just entered into the role myself. It's something I think you and I have spoken about before, how important the vision and the alignment with the CLO and the GC is to any for any legal ops leader to be successful. And you touched on something there, which is the kind of financial management of the legal department and another concept, which is the kind of acting as that interconnector or that translator, as Stephanie Lamro put it to me recently, between legal and finance or IT or, or other business units. How important was that in your early days as a kind of a foundational pillar to get the kind of control over the finances of the department, to have complete visibility, to have a tight working relationship with your finance colleagues? The LegalOps.com conference in October is called Running Legal Like a Business. So there is a very tight connection, not only with finance, but with HR and IT. And with the advancement of technology in the legal operations space, it can act as an evangelical mechanism to tie you to all of the other organizations within the business. What I do think is different, however, is you can't just say to a legal department, we're going to run our, run like a business. We have attorneys in the department who have a very specific personality type. So I don't know if you have are familiar with uh, Dr. Larry Richard, but he talks about the personality type of an attorney as being perfectionist, not very resilient, not a big adopter of change, quite conservative. And so you can't just go in and and say, okay, now we're going to run the department like a business because we need to know where our funds are going and we need to be connected to HR. You need to start with a sense of how are you going to build the culture and the strategy within the legal department? And oftentimes that begins with a mindset shift. And okay, we're going to give everybody permission. And actually, we are going to ask you to report out on mistakes. 
because you know we're really not in in this profession allowed to make mistakes but you also can't run an efficient department if you're not allowed to make mistakes and so part of running legal like a business is to give some context to what does it mean to it's okay to make a mistake where can you make a mistake how can you practice at making a mistake so that you don't get so gun shy that you can't move or that you stop innovating. And so once we did that, then it becomes much easier to start to collaborate across organizations because it's one thing to make a mistake within your own organization, but then the legal department goes across all of the enterprise. You become very vulnerable and coupled up with the personality type of an attorney. That's a tough combination. And so you really should start one little bite at a time and make the mistakes internally, get people comfortable with, oh, this is what it looks like to make a mistake. How are we going to manage mistakes? Are we going to just say, okay, we made a mistake and move on? Or are we going to have a process around, let's talk about what the mistake was, how can we avoid it in the past? What lessons do we have to move forward? And once you start to get that culture ingrained in a legal department, far easier than to start to collaborate across the ecosystem in both internally and externally. There's so much in what you said there, Connie, that resonates. I was a lawyer, so I was kind of wincing a little bit myself (laughs) because I personally believe a lot of the blame lies with the fact that most corporate legal lawyers started life in law firms where it is ingrained and embedded within you that you cannot make a mistake and even I remember in in the earliest days of Bright Flag when I'd left the firm and working with Ian on our kind of first product and I was kind of paranoid about putting in the hands of any customers until I thought it was absolutely perfect and he's like that is completely the wrong way to think about it we need to put it in their hands we need them to tell us what the mistakes are the kind of minimal minimum viable product methodology and what you said there about like working better with the rest of the business particularly in tech companies where you've been working that's how your engineering teams work right like that's how they operate and that's how they expect everybody else to operate as well yeah i completely agree yeah and so we went through the evolution of the general counsel we went through a progression of guard the company and be the risk assessment for the company to manage the risk and guide the company. Those are very different and they can feel like competing requirements of the legal department. The other thing I think that is interesting is because we come from this world of law firms is we also think that if we're busy, then we are bringing value. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but I've not ever met an attorney that doesn't say, oh my goodness, I'm so busy. You get in-house and now your measurement of success is not how busy you are, but how effective are you? And then that raises the issue of, all right, now we need to start bringing data in and measuring productivity. And there's an accountability that comes with that that is uncomfortable for most attorneys who like having control over everything. So when we started 
moving in that direction of, okay, we're going to start vision, mission, strategy, then now we're going to put some goals in place, we would get pushback on, no, that you, you can't use that as a metric. And then we would come to, we'd get to the next stage of, okay, let's agree on this metric. And then we would have a conversation around, well, you can't measure it in that fashion. It's iterative. It's, it's no surprise that the legal operations space has been slower, I think, than some have hoped would move forward, me being one of them. Your perception is the resistance that legal operations leaders uh, and potentially supportive GCs encounter from in-house lawyers where that accountability can raise questions about the contribution they're actually making to the organization. Are they doing the right work? Are, are, Are they actually solving for the right problems or facilitating the business to do what it needs to do rather than just kind of trying to mitigate every risk, how material or not it it might be, which is a frustration I sometimes encounter. It is a complex change process that is slowing the forward movement down. Most of it is centered around mindset. Yeah. And, And here's another thing. Once you start innovating, you start getting attention Mm -hmm. and that can be good and that can be bad. We were the very first in the enterprise to roll out electronic signature. Do you know how hard it was to roll out electronic signature? I had to have memos written by outside counsel because my department didn't think that it was legal. The business was not accepting the fact that we could sign electronically all of those things then put a limelight on you. And with new technology, you will always have a blip. Yeah. So the role requires the general counsel and the legal operations professional and the rest of the department to have some resilience and to be committed to moving forward with an innovative mindset. NetApp's mantra was innovate in everything we do. That that's easy easily said. Yeah. And then you start to innovate, and people are like, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. And it has a chilling effect, especially if you actually make a mistake, which you will. Yeah. You can't, you can't avoid it. It's new technology. It's a new way of working. We're all testing it. It's one of the really benefits of working with Matt Fawcett at, at NetApp. He not only gave permission to make mistakes, he encouraged us to share our lessons learned with the industry. So many, many people have benefited from Matt Fawcett's leadership and and the legal operations team at NetUp to test. We kind of beta tested for a lot of the early technologies and and continue. Uh, Absolutely, as as I know myself. And what you said there, that kind of permission to fail, it's, it's one of our core values in Bright Flag is win and lose together. It's that kind of proactive acknowledgement that not everything's going to go right. And that's where you learn. That's where we get better and how you kind of move things forward. And, and do you think there's a distinction then in the kind of legal ops community between those that are truly driving transformation and maybe others where they're being inhibited and in what they're actually capable of affecting? 100%. So this is where it goes back to your original question. What does your leadership look like? 
because if you are working with an innovative general counsel who has some courage and is willing to try new things that that we really know won't work to ultimately get into a better place, that's a very different role than if you are with a general counsel who is, this is always how it's been. I don't entirely trust you. You're making my other attorney in this other practice area uncomfortable. We don't want to share any of our mistakes or learnings. It really requires a a depth of trust and collaboration that is, I think, Alex, I'd be interested to hear from you whether or not you see the majority of general counsel falling into that personality type or whether we're still fighting, right? It's, it's a great question, I have to say, over the kind of journey we've been on here at Bright Flag, we're obviously working with hundreds of general counsel and legal ops leaders now. What I've certainly observed is a new generation of GCs emerge, and many are embracing a mindset and an attitude that they are going to transform how, how legal services are delivered to the business, how, how legal partners with the business not be the kind of department of no and purely seeing their role as kind of risk mitigation but actual business enablement and seeing technology and and the legal ops function as a a kind of a catalyst for that i think it is changing but it is not kind of it is not where every legal department is today i I can certainly say that with confidence i'm interested in your perception then of like you spoke about the importance of data and metrics and and kind of that kind of the importance of kind of understanding and having visibility of your current resourcing model, how much you're spending with external counsel, how efficient that is, whether you're using the right firm for the right type of work. For a department that's kind of starting the journey, how important is it to have that kind of grasp of your data to start to make decisions with the GC? If you run your department with data, everything becomes easier. It's not a subjective conversation. You can see trends very quickly and you can tweak. And so if you are collecting good data, you can make progress, demonstrable progress quite quickly. Mm-hmm. What I think gets underestimated is the ability to capture the data and cleanse the data and how long it takes to do that. But once you do have the infrastructure built, it is very easy then, again, it's a mindset shift make decisions based on uh, metrics. And some metrics you capture for two weeks and some me- metrics you capture for many, many years. One of our examples is we were, we captured metrics on NDAs. Mm-hmm. So we thought, okay, we'll just see how many NDAs are we, are we signing? It, you know, it, it's the basic create an ROI business case for the general counsel and for those in the business so that you can automate NDAs. What we found, what was surprising, is that 60% of the NDAs that were generated, that we started, initiated, never got signed. So that took us down a completely different path. That meant we needed to be asking a couple of questions on intake to determine, are we ready for an NDA? Or do we possibly have an NDA already in place? 
and we can eliminate this? And then how long do we keep it in the system? Because everything, all that data in the system has to be managed. Mm -hmm. So then we're going to, going to take them out of the system after, and you'd think that would be an easy decision. All right, after 60 days, if something hasn't been signed, you're going to leave it. You're, gonna, you're just going to archive it. However, you have a couple of attorneys who are saying, no, 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 we've been working on that NDA for a year, do not archive our NDA. So all that data allows us to create workflows and to create a way of doing business through automation in a very customized fashion. Here's another example. First time we ever put an NDA out. And of course, we were beta testers for the NDA. And I swore to God, I'd never talk about another NDA. About a, a decade ago, I thought, I'll never talk about another NDA. And here we are. And so we, we were going to roll it out in Europe. And we had the European team say, you can't just have one standard template. We need to have 19 templates. Most of the changes were jurisdictional. So we said, okay. I mean, it's easier to do those kinds of things when you're automating because you, you can clone. And what we found then is that over time, three of those templates were used. That then gives you information and data the next time you're moving into a different technology implementation. Because now you know, all right, here's the mindset. And attorneys, you don't have to be so worried. We've done this before. And we have a year's worth of data, only three of the templates, three of these jurisdictions get used at all. And, you know, another three got used once. That ability, as you, you so eloquently put it, to have an objective conversation rather than a subjective one. Back to your point about lawyers wanting absolute perfection. There may be they're not applying the 80-20 principle. They're thinking about the 0.5% of use cases that are never going to come up and you don't need to design or you shouldn't design a process around and, and that ability to kind of eliminate unnecessary work by using data to identify things that are, are redundant is so powerful. What's always stood out to me, Connie, I think I've said this to you before. I, I've interviewed 100 people now on in-house outliers you are without doubt the person that gets referenced the most as somebody who has mentored or provided a very important piece of guidance at a certain point in the career. Andrew Stevens at MongoDB, the general counsel there, who I think picked your brain when he was setting up the legal ops function at LinkedIn and applied all those principles when he ultimately went on to be general counsel at MongoDB. Jessica Vanderplake, who worked with you at NetApp and has gone on to do great things. Megan Osling, who's now at iManage, has referenced you and many others. You spoke about that coming from Matt Fawcett, or that desire for you to share what you're learning. Is there any one piece of advice? Many of our listeners are probably at a pretty early stage in their legal ops career. They may be in a first role or having functional responsibility for the e-billing platform or CLM. They may want to kind of build a business case for having a broader, more senior role within their organization. Is there one piece of advice you'd give them about a mindset or something they should never lose sight of in, in what they're trying to achieve? So I have been trained in threes. I'll give you three. The first, and this is my mantra, do something every day that scares you. Push yourself. Not only push yourself, push your team. Success begets success. And you 
are successful when you're going beyond what you think you are capable of. It's very empowering to do something every day that scares you. And it can be at home, it can be at work, and it can just be one thing, but it, it, you really do need to make it part of your everyday habits. The second would be build and nurture your network. There is nothing that speeds up the creation of a network than starting right now. It takes time and effort and energy, and you need to care about your network. So you need to also be doing something with your network every day, whether it be formal or whether it be informal. Richard Bliss, who is one of the speakers on CLI, talks about uh, three by five. Write three comments five days a week on topics that you're seeing on, on LinkedIn. You don't have to contact everybody every day, but you do need to take care of your network. And then I think the third is develop your team and then set them off with the idea when you're starting to work together, that your role is to get them trained, to get to identify their strengths, do not spend a lot of time trying to get them better at things that are lousy and start to envision and talk to them about, this is where I see you going. Then where do you want to go? There were a number of people who want to own their own department. So Jessica Vanderplug is one of them. Uh, Emily Tubin is, is another. I, so take care of your team and do not be afraid in fact, not only do not be afraid, actively think about their progression and their career development, because it also takes years. You need to find the right cultural fit when you're placing one of the people that you have mentored. Incredible advice and altruism really at its core. And then like you're developing someone obviously deliver for you and your team today, but many of the benefits of the work you've put in will be felt by another company down the line, but it, but it, it careful on that. Be careful. And that's, I think that what keeps it from happening because you benefit just as much when they go. Yeah. This is a lesson that I really took to heart from Mike Dillon, the, the GC at Sun. He would openly say, it's time for you to leave. There's a glass ceiling here. You've got to leave. And I don't know if you have ever been to one of the Sun reunions or heard about one of the Sun reunions. It is the, the most tight, connected community still. And part of it is because you were encouraged to go elsewhere and to stay in, in contact. So once somebody left, your network just expanded exponentially. And like the nature of legal ops, the reality is you may have to move to get the the next step on the uh, on the ladder or to get that that broader remit that 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 you're looking for or the challenge of much greater scale in the legal department you're working within, and we probably see that as in terms of the degree of movement that happens. Yeah, let me comment on that because one of the other things that I'm watching right this very minute is. Be truthful with, with yourself mm -hmm. and your situation and what and know yourself. 
what do you want out of your career? Because what I'm seeing is people staying in roles mm -hmm. where they're getting all kinds of data points that the role itself is not valued in that particular department. Mm -hmm. And if you want to grow your own self, your, your personal skills, as well as your professional skills, you may have to leave. And that is so scary. So I'm watching people stay in roles that as an outside third party, I'm saying, okay, let's just look at the data that you have been given. This didn't happen. This didn't happen. This didn't happen. This didn't happen. Is this the right role for you at this point in your career? And so you, you need to always be thinking that. And there's a nice circularity there. Back to your first piece of advice, do something that scares you every day or push yourself out of your comfort zone. And, and, and that, I think, brings us nicely on to LegalOps.com uh, and the role that's now playing in the ecosystem. What is your mission for it? What is it you're trying to achieve? Well, it has always been my mission to create an ecosystem. We are in a different place now. When I started Clock, when I should say Jeff and I, Jeff Frankie and I started Clock, it was really around defining the role. We defined the, the job descriptions. We helped level the roles, which is another point of contention. I don't think they're leveled quite where they need to be yet. We created fundamental definitions Five years later, we're in a different place. Are we where we, where I thought we would be? No, but it is time now to engage and embrace the entire legal ecosystem. So as you know, Alex, uh, we have regional groups going and we have invited all of the providers and law firms to participate because the other thing that we are seeing is that people are moving from industry to industry. So we held our first regional meeting in Colorado with the woman who got us the space, had worked with me through an alternative legal service provider at NetApp. Then she went to a law firm. Then she um, went back to in-house and she was back at a law firm and got us. It's all so interrelated now. The other thing that I think is really important to notice it and to note is that many of the legal providers know more of us than they know of themselves, and you have very deep expertise. So if we need something on e-billing, we'll be coming to you and to Kevin for that deep expertise. We have a handful of people in the industry who might have deep expertise on e-billing, but we know that you have focused in this specific space to develop content that is broad and deep. And so part of LegalOps.com will be to continue to create and distribute curated content. I think we are still struggling with the fact that there is no place to go to get trained for this role. Some of the law schools are trying but there's, we're still not where we need to be. And I think bringing the entire legal ecosystem into the same room, collaborating together will take us to a whole new level. I'm certainly incredibly excited, Connie. I was saying to you before we started recording, 
myself and Elizabeth Miller, who is another legal ops pioneer and a real finance expert, are going to do a session on five lessons learned on, on running legal like a business, really focusing on managing the finances of the legal department, building a tight relationship with finance and the journey to kind of become the CFO of the legal department. I'm super excited for it. And I think there is a, a real need for, as you say, that collaboration across all of those stakeholders, that fluidity that exists in people moving from law firm to corporate legal departments to technology vendor, the kind of holistic understanding of how it all, it all fits together and bringing everybody into the one room is is really, really compelling. For anyone listening who's maybe considering uh, coming, um, any kind of details you'd like to share on, on the conference coming up in Las Vegas? Yes, register, get on to legalops.com and register. The conference is happening October 15th through the 18th this year. And mark your calendars for next year because we are our second annual will be the September 3rd through the 6th. A couple of other differentiators, uh, we have partnered with the Women's GC Network, and that is an organization that has been in existence. Jan Kang is the founder, and it's been in existence for a dozen years. And Law Vision, Susan Lambert is the head of that, and that brings in the law firm community, the CXOs, the CMO, CFO, COOs, of law firms. So we truly will have the ecosystem all together. One of the other differentiators between other conferences is that this will have a leadership track. So we will have leadership and effectiveness skills. And some of those, if you want a teaser, you can get onto CLI, which is legalops.com. Click on CLI. It's all that content has been going for five years and it's at no cost. But there are a couple of speakers there that will be at the conference. Kara Hale Alter and Richard Bliss will be there. I think your superpower of, of acting as that connector, Connie, you just uh, articulated how, <laughs> how powerful that is proving in, in bringing together all of these different stakeholders, perspectives. As you say, that leadership track is, is a really compelling educational opportunity, again, for maybe people who are thinking two steps ahead and in a more structured way now that was possible maybe seven or eight years ago can get that guidance and, and that learning and accelerate their own career path. Final question for me, Connie, I think we could be be here all day. I promised I wouldn't keep you more than 30 minutes and we're already nearly at 45. What do you enjoy doing in your spare time? Okay, so um, I really, really, really love to work. So I have a gift store in Colorado. I've had it for 30 years. It's 6,500 square feet and it's on the Boulder Mall, Pearl Street Mall, which you will now start seeing on the television because of our Coach Prime. And it is my hobby and it has been a sense of delight and fun. So when I'm not working, I'm working. My mother used to have an interior design shop and my grandmother had an antique shop in the west of Ireland when she sold her, her carpet business. So I spent much of my childhood uh, helping out and uh, that entrepreneurial spirit, Connie. Yeah, so, so that is your downtime. Working. <laughs> so here's a funny story. So Colorado University is a place for a lot of the legal operations professionals to send their children to school. Yeah. So we'll go out to dinner and I'll be talking to them and they'll say, oh, yeah, I have um, my son, my daughter is at CU. And I'm like, seriously, that's where I was born and raised. And I have a store there. Do they need a job? 
And <laughs> the answer has been yes, three times. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, so that has been fun too. It's been another way to get connected uh, in at a different level in a different environment with that, that's uh, so my cool. colleagues. That's cool. So cool. Well, look, honey, I hope you get some rest before Las Vegas. I'm incredibly thank excited to, to see yourself. Thank you, for being, Jeff again thank you for being a huge sponsor from the very beginning, Alex, really oh. from the beginning of clock. And now again at legalups.com. I'm very grateful. Well, well, no, thank you, Connie, for everything you've done. And uh, as I said, re- really excited to catch up again in person. And thanks for, yeah, for, for joining me today. Me too. Thanks, Alex. I'm Alex Kelly, host of the In-House Outliers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Brightflag, an AI-powered legal operations platform where corporate legal departments gain visibility into operations, maximize productivity, and engage with outside counsel strategically. If you like this episode, then you can find more information in our show notes. If you want to hear more, then you can also find more episodes at brightflag.com forward slash legal hyphen operations hyphen podcast. Thanks again for listening to the In-House Outliers podcast. We'll see you again next time.